Is your business a fixer-upper? Leaky Bucket of Profits, Episode 11, You Might Not Be As Rich As You Think. Hello, it's Tony Malik, the author of Leaky Bucket of Profits and Certified Professional Business Coach. And in this series, I cover each chapter of my book, Leaky Bucket of Profits, where I dive into the materials and give you a lot of the value that you would get from the book, but without having to read it. And today we're going to be talking about building value in your business. Business owners are some of the most resilient, visionary people, determined people that I know on the face of the earth. And they spend a lot of their life building a business with the hope that that there's going to be a pot at the end of the rainbow that they, all their hard work is going to pay off and they can have the retirement they've always dreamed. And what happens more often than it should is when it comes time to cash out that business and realize those retirement dreams, the business owner is very often very disappointed in what they can get for their business, sometimes 20% to 50% less than what they thought. And even if a business is profitable and shows good cash flow, there's, there's several other factors that can determine the value of the business. And unfortunately, a lot of business owners don't pay attention to those factors while they're building their business. So what we're going to be talking about today are what are some of those factors that you need to be aware of as you're building your business, that you've built these features into your business so that when it does come time to cash out, that you're going to get the maximum amount of money that you would always wanted and, and have that kind of retirement that you've always dreamed Building value in a business and selling a business is very similar in a lot of ways to building value in your own home and selling your home. Let's think about your own home. You may have, over the years, reinvested money in your house and updated the kitchen, the bathrooms, the flooring, repainted it. And when it comes time to sell, all this work you've done in the past will have an effect on the value of your business. So when it comes to valuating your business for, for business value, what a business valuator will do or, or a potential buyer, uh, first thing they're going to want to do is look at your financial statements. And there's, there's a, many ways to value business, various types of calculations and way to look at a business. And we're going to talk about a couple of them right now. Two of the most common ways are to base it on owner's cash flow, meaning how much money is the owner pulling out of the business for their own personal use, And the other method is usually a multiple of profits, sometimes also uh, called EBITDA, which stands for earnings before depreciation, interest, taxes, and amortization. Uh, There's some calculations that go in there, but just for simplified terms, I'm not going to use the word profit. So when it comes to evaluating a business based on owner's cash flow, it is usually used more often than not with smaller businesses. Smaller businesses meaning that there's the owner, maybe it is a one-person company, Perhaps there's maybe two or three employees in it. Quite often, sales will be under a million dollars. So what a buyer is going to look at is, well, how much money is the owner pulling out of this business and making for themselves? And will be willing to pay a multiple on what on on that cash flow that comes out of the business for the owner. And there's and there's no you know there's ways of calculating it, but a number that I see quite often, and this is just anecdotally is somewhere between two to three times of, of the owner's, what they call owner's cash flow. So that's one way to kind of look at it. And what a business evaluator will do is they'll do usually several different types of 
valuation methods and see what the numbers come out as. And quite often they'll come out to similar numbers or there'll be a cross section of numbers that helps them determine what the real value is. But the next one is uh, based on the earn, you know, the multiple of profits. And what a business or a buyer is looking for is they're buying your future cash flow. So it doesn't really matter if you're basing it on owner's cash flow or multiple of profits. What they're really looking at is how much of this cash flow am I willing to pay for upfront with the idea that it's not only going to be there in the long run, but even grow bigger than what I put into it. So that's why quite often they'll say, okay, well, I'm willing to give you two, maybe three times what you make in a year because I'm confident that if I put extra work into it, I can grow it even bigger than that. The same thing happens with the profit is a buyer is going to look at, okay, how many years of profits am I willing to pay for in advance to get the rights to the, this profit so that I can enjoy it for the long run and grow it even bigger than what it is now? And, and there's it really can vary by the structure of the business, the industry you're in, the economy you're in. Uh, sometimes a bad economies, uh, business don't get as much as they would if it was in a good economy. So there's a bunch of there are a whole bunch of factors that go into it. But a number that's quite often thrown out is somewhere between four and five times or three to four times annual profit. And this is based on profit after the owner has already paid himself market value, you know, salary. So so there's a whole bunch of stuff that goes on with what they call normalizations where a evaluator or the accountant will look at the financials and say, okay, well, there's a whole bunch of stuff here the owner's doing at their own discretion. You know, maybe they're paying themselves less than market value to keep cash flow up. Maybe they're paying themselves more than market value to pull more money out of the business. Uh, they may be uh, deciding to pay for memberships to country clubs, you, you know, golf courses, that type of thing. And these are what they call discretionary earnings. So a evaluator is going to look at that and say, well, the new owner may not necessarily want to pay themselves these amounts of money. So they're going to try to normalize it to make it look like what would... What would the financials look like if the new owner was running it the way they want to run it? Something else to look at is, and I've caught this a number of times when I've even looked at businesses uh, on behalf of clients is, are they paying market value rent? Because quite sometimes what happens is the owner will have a separate company that owns the property that the business is on and they will actually charge their own company less than market value rent. So what might end up happening is if you were, for instance, the buyer of a business, you'd have to look at that because when you buy the business, the owner may say, okay, now I want you to pay market value rent. So instead of paying 5,000 a month, now you got to pay 8,000 a month. Those are things that have to be accounted for in your normalizations as well to ensure that again, what is the income going to look like if you're running the business instead of the owner running the business, him or herself? A couple other things to think about is why is the buyer wanting to buy your business. What's the purpose of purchasing your business? If they're looking to purchase it as, say, an owner-operator or to have somebody run it for them as a going concern to kind of run it as normal, that will have some effect on what they're willing to pay for your business. Other companies will sometimes look to buy a business for a strategic move because they may say, you know what, this product or this company has products or services that would really, you know, blend well with what we're doing. And if we just bought you know, the, the business and moved it into, but moved it out of its current facilities, for example, into our facilities, well, we could save all that rent and we could actually increase the profitability because 
we can, you know, we're buying the sales and we're buying some of the people that are in the business, but at the same time, we don't have the rents or some of the same overheads because we can spread that overhead amongst both companies. So those things can actually affect the value of a business too, because now it becomes more of a strategic buy. But a couple other things to look at is what is your, what you know, that they're going to look at is what is your competitive position in the company? What are the growth trends in your industry? You know, is there an upside to this? Does your business have some intellectual property that will would be of interest to other companies? Maybe you have a process. Maybe you have a patent uh, that is very unique to your company that other that other companies can't uh, duplicate. These these items can actually add a lot of value to your business. And they're also going to look at your management. Do you you know how is the business run? Is it being properly run? Is there good business fundamentals in it, or are they going to have to put a lot of work into it? So one of the things I'm going to be talking about now are the three levels of business value or the sort of the three ways that a business or a buyer of a business will want to look at your business. And it's very much as if you were to sell your house. So the three levels of attractiveness that exist in a business, but also say when you're selling your house, is is your home a fixer upper? Can it be sold at fair market value? Or is it a strategic buy? And, and think about a house. If somebody's selling their house and they haven't updated their flooring in 20 years, the kitchen has not been updated in 20 years, you know, it's got old fixtures, old coloring, you know, still has shag carpets in it from the 70s. A buyer's going to look at that and say, you know what? The frame of the house is nice. It's in a nice location, but I've got a lot of time and money to put into this place to get it to, you know, to a more modern state. And that's going to affect how much they give for your house. And a good example is if, just to throw an even number out, if a house is worth a million dollars, should be worth a million dollars based on what is selling on that neighborhood. If it turns out that that owner is going to have to put $100,000 of more time and energy into that home to bring it up to the rest of the neighborhood, they're not just going to offer you 100000 less than the rest of the neighborhood. They're going to want it make, to, work, to make it worth their while. So they may offer you 150000 less just to make it worth their while to go through all the hassle because they may be willing just to move on to another house and buy something that's already been updated. So it can cost you a lot of money for your, you know, in the value of your home if you don't keep that updating happen. And the same thing happens with a business. So think about if a business is if you're still using old processes, old software, uh, the business, the, the facilities have not been updated. The machinery has not been updated. There's no systems in place. A buyer of a business is going to look at that and go, oh, I got a lot of work to do. I got to buy a new computer system. I got to put a lot of time and energy to develop systems. This is going to cost me a lot of money. And what? And they're going to put a number in what they think it's going to cost them to bring it, you know, their business up to where it needs to be. Again, just as with the home that's a fixed rubber, they're going to say if they have to put another half a million dollars into your business, they're going to probably want $750,000 $750, to $1,000,000 less just for all the hassle because they can move on to another business that already has that work done. So not having your business updated with and keeping it current and ready to move in, so to speak, as a turnkey operation can cost you a lot of value, which takes us to the next value level the next value value which is your fair market value and this is where at the very least where you want your home to be and this may be where you know you've put the money in you've got a nice you've updated the kitchen the bathrooms in your home 
It's got current flooring. It's got fresh paint. It's in the right neighborhood. It's it's on par with everything in the neighborhood. You're likely to get fair market value and, and you know, what you would hope to get for it. A business is this works the same way. If you've done the basic updating and you've got current systems and you've got some processes in place, uh, you've got some good people in place, a buyer's going to say, you know what, this is almost turnkey. I got little time or effort to put in. I can keep just running it as is when, when, you know, when I move into the business. They're going to give you fair market value, which is the very least what you want out of it. So take a look and we're going to, I'm going to give you some information before the end of this podcast about some things that you need to look at your business to decide whether it is a fixer upper or not. The third level, which is a great level if you can get your business to it, is when your business becomes a strategic buy. This is a situation where quite often a, uh, another party wants to buy your business because there's something really special about it. And think, and, and let's go back to the house. Let's say your house not is only on par with everything that's already in the neighborhood, but what if you got a lot of extras? What, what if you've got you know, handcrafted woodwork, uh, you know, art, beautiful archways? Maybe you have that special man cave with big screen TVs, a wet bar, a games room area and these might be think these might be features that other homes in your business doesn't have some buyers that that find that important will be would be willing to pay more for your home than other homes in the neighborhood so now it becomes a little more of a strategic buy and the same thing happens with your business if your business has some features in it that that a lot of your competitors in your industry may not have and that could be for instance a specialized product that you've invented that has a patent on it. It could be a, a product that you have exclusive rights to. It could be your management team. It could be, it, it could, it, it could also just be your, your your product mix. As I mentioned earlier, just really would dovetail beautifully with the buyer's business. And quite often to get to get access to those. And and also by the way, it could also include customers. So you might have customers that that a buyer just can't seem to get into that if they bought your business, they would be able to not only continue to sell your products to your customers, perhaps they could introduce their products to your customers and increase sales. So these are really good strategic situations that that would add value and some buyers would be willing to pay more for. So something to keep in mind here is, based on what I've been talking about, is value quite often is in you know, the eyes of the beholder. It comes down to why does that buyer want to buy your business? How does it fit into their situation? And that will have an effect on the value of your business. Because at the end of the day, a business valuator can put a number on your business, but the real number comes down to are people willing to pay it or not? And the best thing you can do is to build those features in your business so that people are more likely to pay the price you want to pay. So what we're going to talk about now are eight questions that you need to ask yourself to see if your business is a fixer-upper so that you can start to spend some time working on those features in your business. I was watching a commercial on TV one day and there was a company that was, was promoting reverse home mortgages, uh, mostly for baby boomers. And one of the first lines in the movie is the husband says, and I'm quoting it, uh, uh, we, we don't want to move. We love every outdated nook and cranny in our home. And the fact is, you know, our homes, especially the homes that we may have raised our families in, are very personal. We don't really want to change it. But again, that catches up to us because that becomes a fixer-upper, even though the home might be in good shape. But, you know, structurally, 
you know, there's going to be a lot of cosmetic updating that needs to be done that does make it a fixer-upper. So, so here's eight questions that you need to ask yourself. And then based on answering honestly, it may point to you some weak, some weak points in your business that maybe may hold back the value of your business. So the first question to ask is, are profit margins below average for the industry? And that's something to look at because a lot of in businesses in the same industry have similar costs of doing business. And, you know, labor is going to be similar. Raw materials might be similar. You know, things can vary based on, on you know, how well you buy, you know, how well you buy raw materials, which raw materials you buy, how you price your product, you know, generally how you run your business in general. So if, if a business's profits are below your industry's, your competition, it's, it's going to have a big effect on the value of your business. And how can you figure that out? Well, there's actually databases out there. Uh, in Canada, uh, you know, through uh, the Canadian government, you can actually do some research and find out for your industry based on your SIC or NEICS code is what is the average profit for businesses in your industry. And you'll get that, you'll get that accumulated, you know, that aggregated data and you can start con to compare your business not only from a, a net profit point of view, but it even gives what the gross profits are and, and based on various sizes of business. So it gives you a gruff idea. Are you doing as well as you should be doing? Or are you doing better than, than most industries? And it'll give you an idea of where your business is at. The second thing is, how's your company doing when it comes to sales growth compared to the rest of your industry? And again, some industries tend to be more growth oriented than others. You know, there's a lot of consumer product type of businesses out there where, you know, sometimes growth is only grows as, where, the, where the industry only grows as quickly as, as the economy grows. But there's other industries, for instance, high tech and other various industries out there where they, they tend to be younger industries where they're growing much quicker than the economy. You know, sometimes they're getting into double digit growth or 50% growth or exponential growth. So it depends on your industry. So what is your sales growth compared to the rest of your competition? Are you ahead? Are you growing quicker than your competition? Are you growing slower? Are you growing on par? A buyer is going to want to look at that and say, okay, you know, is this company positioned in the marketplace to, to want to grow? And they may look at it and say, well, you know, if we added some extra systems or added a new marketing strategy, there might be a real opportunity to grow to grow this business. Now, that doesn't mean they're going to want to pay you more money because they're going to put that work in and make make the business worth more for them. So they're going to want to look at and see is you know how is your growth strategy strategy compared to the rest of uh, the rest of the industry. The third question is: Are you and your staff constantly fighting fires? This is quite often a sign of lack of leadership, lack of management. A lack of systems in a business because if everyone's running around always, you know, fighting fires and there isn't some 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 degree of purpose in what everyone's doing every day, that's a sign that there needs to be some work to be done. And you know, a buyer of a business is going to look at that and say, well, okay, we have a management issue here. Uh, we're going to have to put some time and money and potentially invest in more management or or you know management that perhaps has more experience to make this business run better. And that again will affect the value of your business. The fourth question is. Can you take a day off or a vacation or are you fearful that the wheels will fall off, you know, will fall off the wagon here on you if uh, if you're not there? I need to be blunt. I've heard a lot of business owners, some will be proud of the fact I haven't taken a vacation in five years. I haven't taken a vacation in 10 years. I haven't taken a day off in three months. 
and, and I've got some news. That is not a badge of honor. That's a sign that somebody's running ineffective business because if that owner has to be there every day for the wheels to keep turning in that business, it shows that they have not built a good structure in their business. And again, it also points to a leadership issue. They're not delegating. They have no systems. They're, they're kind of the hub of the wheel and everything has to come back to them. And what ends up happening with that, and this is also one of the reasons why some companies don't grow in sales, is because the owner is the bottleneck of their business. So that's, that's something that I find a lot of small businesses have a challenge with. As a matter of fact, I'd say most small businesses have some level of challenge where the owner is, is, you know, is that person that has uh, the relationships with the customers and they have a lot of that information in their head. And it's really important, again, that business needs to have systems in place and then you have good people that are running your systems for you and that's how you can have a business that re- does not need you to be there every day as well as the business can grow because they can grow with the systems. The systems can grow with the business. Something, the next one, which is number five, and it builds off what I kind of mentioned in in question four, but is, you know, are you the face of the business to your clients and suppliers? This is something that, again, see happen a lot, where if a lot of your customers are working, dealing with your business because they want to deal with you personally, or a lot of your products that you have available to you, for instance, uh, uh, maybe you have an exclusivity on a product because uh, you have a gr- you personally have a great relationship with that supplier. That that that's, that's could be a high risk to a potential buyer because a buyer is going to say, well, if I'm in that shoe instead of you, they're going to say, well, what's the likelihood, for instance, that these clients are going to stay with me, and also that I'm going to have access to the same suppliers and same products because they may decide to shift their loyalties. By the way, I find quite often the owner thinks that the customers want to want to deal with them and they keep calling the owner because the customer doesn't know who else to call. So you, you might be surprised when it comes to delegation. I'll be talking about this at, at a future podcast is, is, you know, how to get yourself off the mouse wheel. That's in a future podcast. But, you know, just a quick thing is customers quite often will be willing to work with and deal with your one of your team members. If you just introduce them to that team member and you've got a team member that's properly trained and can look after that employee, that customer, and maybe can even do a better job than you because that employee may not be as uh, you know thinly spread as you are. So just something, keep that in mind, is sometimes we think that our suppliers and customers want to deal with us, but they're happy to deal with the employee too. And if these people also have suppliers and customers have relationships with other people in your company, you can start to pull back a little bit because now it's not based solely on, on, on your relationship, which actually helps with the value of your business. Number six is you'd be lost without that one key employee. Now, sometimes, the, as I mentioned earlier, the business owner is that key employee that has all the important information in their head that's not written out in systems for people to use. But sometimes a business also has been built on the expertise of one key employee. And if that employee left, uh, the value of your business, you might lose a lot of your customers. A lot of things could start to unravel. I know of an of an IT company in, in the general area that I live in that grew very quickly. It was an award-winning company, had a number of employees in it, but a lot of the technical expertise was based on one key employee. And the owner neglected to offer any type of ownership or, or uh uh, you know, sort of what they call soft handcuffs to keep this play with the company. And one day the employee th- said, why am I, you know, this company would not be here without me. 
why am I putting money to someone else's pocket? And this employee left, started his own business, and literally took a lot of the business with him. And and the company, the previous company, ended up going out of business a year or two later. So that can be a real problem. And if a buyer senses that that's what you have going on in your business, that without that one key employee and that employee, uh, you know, kind of locked in, it's going to have a huge effect on the value of your business. Question seven is, do you keep losing talented people? Every business is going to have a certain amount of turnover of people in their company. Every industry kind of has their own benchmarks. Some, some are higher turnover industries than others. Fast food will turn over their employees quicker, for instance, than, say, a manufacturing company. But again, everyone has their sense of a certain amount of turnover, which is kind of an accepted norm. But if it's higher than your industry average, it's something to be to, to really be concerned about because why are they leaving? You know, there's a saying out there that people don't always leave their jobs, they, they leave their boss. And quite often it becomes a leadership issue. So again, it comes down to the leadership, the management, are there systems in place? If there's no systems in place and people are dealing in chaos every day, they're, they're eventually just going to leave because it, it's causing them too much stress. As well as if talented people are not allowed to do their jobs without being micromanaged, they're going to move on to places that are going to trust them more. So that's just something to look at is if there is high turnover, this is going to be a red flag to a potential buyer because, again, it comes down to leadership and management of the company more often than not. Something else that I've already kind of mentioned a couple times, but it, it deserves its own question because it, it is that important, is the eighth question to ask is, are you the intellectual property for the business? You know, the one that has all that technical knowledge in their head. Because one of the things I always work with my clients on in my business coaching practice is I always ask them, well, if you were to get hit by the by a bus tomorrow, what would happen? And if all that technical knowledge, if all, you know, the specialized knowledge is in the owner's head has not been written out into systems, the business could unravel very quickly without without your knowledge. So if somebody was to buy your business, and it's all in your head. How are you going to get that knowledge from, from you to the owner or to the new owner? Are you going to have to stick around a couple of years? Are you going to forget to teach them certain things about your business? So the more you can document about, you know, about intellectual property, your specialized knowledge, even about knowledge about your customers and suppliers, the more that can be documented in manuals, the higher the value your company will have or your business will have to that buyer. So those are those are the eight things to be asking yourself to see if your business is a fixed rupper and needs more work in which areas you might need to work in. The general theme here it does come down to you know what is the risk to the buyer. If they were to buy the business and there's risk that some of those sales and profits may not be there in a year or two because they might lose customers, they might lose suppliers, they might lose key employees. That's going to have an effect on the business. If they have to put all kinds of time and money into your business to get it up to that at least fair market value rate, they're going to pay a lot less than what you would want to get for it because they're going to have to make it worthwhile to put that time and effort in to get it up to that value. So these are things to think about is now's the time. If you're, if you're thinking about selling your business in, in, in a year or two or five, realistically, you want to start thinking about these things at least two years ahead and ideally five or more years before you're going to want to sell your business because it's going to take time to build to build all these, you know, to build your systems up, to get the right people in the place. And not to mention, when it comes to value of the business, you know, I talked earlier about you know, multiples of profits and owner cash flow. Well, if you're looking anywhere from two to five times of 
cash flow or, or profits, you're going to have to show at least a couple years of improved profits to convince a, a new buyer that you're on the right track. So one one year of better profits does not make for for a higher value business. So you can find a few more details about what we spoke today in, in my book, Leaky Bucket of Profits. Uh, it's available through the online platforms as in hard paperback, hardcover, as well as ebook format. And they're all very reasonably priced. And if you have any questions or would like me to clarify some some aspects of this, I'm always willing to talk to potential or business owners. Uh, you can send me an email at tony at empoweredbusiness.ca and we can always set up a time. So it's Tony Malik author of Leaky Bucket of Profits. Good to have you and have a great day.